to Everything a Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year, a weekly devotional series based on readings relevant to the current liturgical season. You can watch this series live on our YouTube page every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for tuning in, and now on to this week's discussion. Welcome. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to To Everything is Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year. My name is William Green, and as always, I'm joined by Pastor Brian King. We're here tonight for our third and final installment on Jesus' high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. Yes, it is the whole chapter, actually. Yeah. And, yeah. And warrants having its own chapter. Yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, the people who have gained comfort from this, Luther loved it. Spainer loved it. Um, had it read to them. Spanner had it read to him on the night when he was dying. Mm. It's just, it's one of those places in scripture that you, you can read it over and over and over again, and you'll still learn something new or more, or have impressed upon you the, the, the dedication Jesus had towards glorifying the father, mm-hmm. helping his disciples and helping us. Yeah. 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 It's been good to spend some time on this and, and kind of take our time on it. Cause I, I know it, has fallen on a fairly significant part of the church here with Pentecost and then Trinity Sunday coming up uh, this this week. But it's been good to slow down and take a moment to really digest this and dig into it. So, And as I said, it it addresses both the work of the Holy Spirit and the concept of the Trinity as well. Yeah, it does. It fits pretty well. Yeah, it fits. It fits. It's It's good. Shall we jump into it? Let's do it. Okay, so we are looking at verses 20 to 26, the closing of John 17, the closing of the prayer. Jesus prays, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Great. Thank you. You're welcome. Welcome. So maybe, Pastor, you could just refresh our memory. We kind of broke this prayer down into three separate parts, and that's been the basis of the structure of this. Right. And pretty much everybody who's commented on it or written about it or studied it does this. There's the first part where Jesus prays for himself. Then there's the second part where Jesus prays for his disciples. And then we look at this third part as Jesus praying for the work that the disciples are going to engage in. Mm. I do not ask for these only, these being his disciples. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Mm. Now, you and I and everyone else who is a believer believes in Jesus through this word of the gospel writers and the apostles, the evangelists and the apostles, right? Right. 
underscores the importance of their ministries, certainly. Yeah, he prays for us. Yeah. He's praying. And, and, you know, let's just jump ahead or jump back 2,000 years. And here's Jesus. He's just about to die. And he's praying for us. He's praying for himself. He's praying that he glorifies the Father, etc. He prays for his disciples. And he prays for us. It it's just it's kind of mind numbing, actually. Yeah, it is. It yeah. is. It's it's a comfort to know that um, Jesus was praying for us, and that in some sense continues to to pray for us and intercede for us in that way. Well, right. We talk about the the, the you know this priestly office office of Jesus, where he offered the perfect sacrifice of himself, as the hymn put it, he himself the victim, he himself the priest. But one of the other so. He's the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, but also as a priest, he engages in intercessory prayer. Mm -hmm. So not only was he praying for us 2000 years ago, but he continues to intercede on our behalf to this very day. Right. If if these words came into his mind and, and he needed to express them to his father as he's about to die, well, he's going to continue to have that same desire in his heart for all eternity that we be with him for all eternity. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And uh, now one of the themes we talked about last time that is present again in this week's reading is this idea of uh, being one uh, just as Christ and the father are one. Um, We see several iterations of that request uh, throughout Jesus prayer. And um, we kind of started talking about this idea of of Christian unity and and what it means to be one uh, last week, but we kind of wanted to revisit that again this week. Um, What do you think it is that Jesus is specifically asking for here? We we talked last week about it not being about a sort of administrative or bureaucratic or institutional unity. So we talked a bit about that, but uh, we should talk a bit about what this actually is rather than what it's not as well. Yeah. I mean, you can talk about something about what it's not forever, but never get to the point. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my truck is not a vegetable garden. Okay. <laughs> well then what is your truck? Right. right. So <laughs> verse 21 says that they may all be one, just as you father are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us that so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So first off, this idea of being incorporated into God's family, right? being adopted as God's children. And this, of course, comes about by faith. God gives us faith. We look to Jesus. We have our sins forgiven. And we're in God's family. But here there's a purpose that Jesus notes that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Mm-hmm. So one of the purposes of our, of our oneness, and obviously the, the main purpose is that we're saved people. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. But out of that being saved people and one with God, Jesus has in mind the purpose that we would demonstrate that oneness to the world. Right. So the world, go ahead. Yeah. So there does seem to be an, at least some external factor here. Cause I, I think like initially where our mind immediately goes is this sort of unity we have as the invisible church, like every, everyone who's a part of the church uh, shares a sort of invisible unity uh, through their yeah. faith in Christ, right? Yeah, we believe in one holy Christian apostolic church. Yeah, we believe that we're part of that one holy 
church when we look to Christ in faith. The world can't see that. Right. And 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 you look the same as a non-believer. Right. Yeah, exactly. So do yeah. I. You look at me, there's nothing that says, oh, that person has a halo or something. He's a Christian. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's just a reflection of the sun off my bald head. It's not a real halo. <laughs> but, 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 but what the world does see, they, okay, they can't, we can't see someone's heart. And I have people say to me, well, how do you know that person's a Christian or not? I said, mm-hmm. well, they say they are. Mm-hmm. That's all I can go on. I can't, I can't judge someone's heart, but I can judge their public profession of faith. Right. And what the world judges is our behavior. Right. And, and, and in some sense, isn't that like kind of appropriate? Because like we have that verse in James that says that you see that you're justified uh, by works and not by faith alone. Right. And, and that's kind of an intentional, like you see, like it's demonstrated that you're justified through your works and not yeah. merely by your faith. It's not right. saying that, um, you know, works are required for justification. It's saying that sort of the evidence of justification is the works. And so it, I don't know. What do you think? Is there like kind of an appropriateness to judging someone's justification through their, their behavior? Like, what do we oh, say about that? Well, whether it's uh, appropriate or not, it's, is irrelevant because the world judges us by our behavior. Mm-hmm. And, and more so our behavior than what we believe, teach, and confess. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. Like, we yeah. have great theology in the Lutheran Church. That's why I'm Lutheran. I love our theology. It's good. It's, it's long-lasting. It's biblical, all that stuff. But my neighbor, literally my neighbor, doesn't understand my love of my Lutheran theology because they don't know my Lutheran theology. Right. But they can look at my behavior and how do I behave as a person? Right. And yeah. that's so, so the whole notion of, um, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Okay. So part of our being saved has the purpose of being a good witness to others so that they too will then be saved. Mm-hmm. And, and then you get right to the heart of it, Will, because, you know, God does not delight in the death of the wicked. God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Mm-hmm. And this oneness that we have in God has, of course, it, it, it is an end in and of itself. Mm-hmm. But there's also this desire that in, in God's heart, that our oneness would be demonstrated to the world so that people would look at us and say, hey, they're different. What do they have that I don't? Okay, so so we think this like um, external oneness. So we've talked about the internal oneness, this kind of mystical union we have with all fellow believers. But uh, you're also suggesting that this kind of works itself out in an external way uh, it, that it, manifests in like an external oneness that's visible uh, to the world. It demonstrates, well, <laughs> that's the goal. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they will know we are Christians by our love, that whole idea and thought. So yes, we have this, this mystical or spiritual oneness because we have faith in Christ. But the world can't see that. And, and, and we Christians can't necessarily see that amongst others. We get little glimpses and glimmers and things like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, remember a pastor years ago um, had a church member die. And, yeah, you know, he's a faithful church member and, you know, just one of hundreds, right? At the man's funeral, there were tons of people who weren't members of the church. Mm-hmm. 
who came up to him and started talking about all the wonderful things this person had done. And the pastor's like, I never knew that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. The man very quietly went about living his Christian life in the world and was an incredible witness through his behavior. Mm. That, so I think I think what we that may well be at the heart of Jesus' prayer is yes, that we have faith and that we're part of the one holy Christian apostolic church. Obviously, that's that's what God wants for everyone. Right. But also at the heart of the prayer is that our oneness would be demonstrated through our actions or behavior so mm-hmm. that others would come to know him as Savior as well. Mm-hmm. And that's the point of that oneness being that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So that the world may believe. Jesus wants to proclaim his saving message to the world. Right. And he does it through his people. He does it through his, his believers. So one aspect of this external oneness is like a sort of unity in Christian love that we exhibit toward our neighbors more or less. Yeah, and, and maybe a certain uh, um, homogeneity in our behavior, a likeness, a likeness in our behavior. That's a tough one because certainly across the spectrum of Christian denominations, there's such like a, a variation in how Christian people behave in their daily lives, you know, and some of that might be like cultural. Some of that might stem from like different, different beliefs and stuff like that. But like certainly probably to the outsider who's not a Christian looking at the church as a whole, it probably doesn't look particularly unified in action in that way. No. And even the individuals that comprise the churches that make up denominations or synods or whatever, that, that doesn't have that homogeneous aspect to it well yeah that's yeah I, I think that's probably the other side of this coin is that there probably is like a behavior aspect but it seems that there also should be like a confessional aspect like a oneness of confession or a oneness of belief well okay that, that's important and that's why we have the, the creeds mm-hmm. okay right. so okay. yeah you know, christians christians for a long time have subscribed to the creeds Right. And that's something that, you know, there's a story about a person with, with cognitive disability who was always going to church. And one time his neighbor stopped and said, where are you going? He looked and said, well, I'm going to church. He said, well, why do you go to church? And the young man didn't really know how to answer that. Mm-hmm. And so the neighbor said, well, what do you believe? Oh, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and recited the creed. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's that that oneness of our confession. We can boil it down to the creeds. And that, you know, let the world hear that we believe in the triune God and things like that. Right. But I think the world is quicker to look at, judge, critique, and evaluate us on the basis of, are we nice people? Yeah. Yeah, that's probably true in our everyday life. But I do think there's something to be said about there's a sort of like unattractiveness about how schismatic and fractured the visible church seems to be. Like I, I do think that that is a sticking point for uh, for non Christians. It's like oh well, any any little crack in the door, the devil's going to say, "Look at that! Look at that! Look at that!" Yeah, yeah. There, well, you know, well, if you or I found the perfect church. Um, we wouldn't be able to join it. <laughs> <Right>. Okay. <Yeah. laughs> 
that's the hard, cold reality of it. So we live in this reality that we're sinful people and we have differing opinions about theological points, nuances, some of them important, some not. I mean, theologians have taken great pains to sort of separate, well, what's a doctrine that you really have to believe in order to be saved? And what's one that, okay, you may be wrong on that, but you're not going to be damned because of it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, 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 and that's important. And we sometimes should, should, as Christian people, whether it's our, ourselves, our churches, our denominations, whatever, we should emphasize the oneness that we have in our confession with other Christian people. One of the reasons I've maintained membership in the Lutheran church is that we as Lutherans have never believed or held or taught that you needed to belong to one of our con congregations in order to be saved. Mm -hmm. Right. Because we realize there are Christian people in all places where the word is preached and the sacraments are administered. We do say properly, mm -hmm. but there's Christian people in churches where we might say that they're not administering the sacraments properly. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's just the reality. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we have brothers and sisters in Christ in, in all Christian churches. Right. What the world is going to look at and what we need to show the world is that we have a devotion to the unchurched that is at, at one level non-judgmental, and that and another point is that we're assessing the needs of the non-believer so that we can address and meet those needs. Mm -hmm. And the greatest need the non-believer has is a spiritual one. Right, right. They may be hungry, so feed them, but but don't feed them in a manipulative way trying to get them to listen to you proclaim the gospel. Mm. Feed them because they're hungry. Mm -hmm. Give them shelter because there was a storm. If they ask why you're doing this, well, then tell them. Right. But our, our kindness needs to be demonstrated without some, let's phrase this kind of tongue-in-cheek or carefully, without an ulterior motive. Mm -hmm. Okay. If we see someone hurt lying in the street, we don't go help them for the for the hope of possibly sharing the gospel with them. Right. We go and help them because they're lying in the street hurt. Right. And, and that's just a part a, of Christian charity, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But our highest priority has to be somehow demonstrating the love of God in Christ to those who don't know the love of God in Christ. Yeah. And that's what that's what this prayer is all about. So when we talk about um wanting to bring the visible church in line with what Jesus is praying for here, whether it be in behavior or in, or in confession. Um, I guess practically what does that look like? Cause I, I know some people who do think that we ought to be kind of shoring up our differences, making our beliefs as homogenous as possible and they earnestly see that as a fulfillment of the prayer that Jesus is praying here. What do we say about that? They should, that we should make what? Repeat that. I, I'm sorry. That we should be like shoring up our, our disagreements and um, kind of making our beliefs as homogenous as possible. Like um, coming to as much of a consensus as possible as it pertains to theological matters, beliefs about God. Okay. Like so let's think about this for a minute. Let's say you have two denominations, two church groups. This one's pretty good. This one's pretty good. Now, because of this desire for oneness, someone pushes them to merge mm -hmm. and to make concessions mm -hmm. in their theology. So each group may, this is all hypothetical, each group may give up a true teaching for the sake of joining. 
Right. Now, is that good? No. No. Quick answer. No. <laughs> yeah. It's not good. So even though we don't like the fact that there is, there are different denominations who hold to different confessions, the reality is that if you were to somehow impress upon them that oneness was of a higher import than their confessional integrity, you would weaken them. That's really important. Yeah, I think this is really something that we need to focus on because so there have been examples of this, of, of course, throughout Christian history. And and one that's probably in the minds of Lutheran people is like um, the Prussian Union. Prussian and Union, like, yeah. And, and what happened there. So like uh, the earthly powers tried to merge the Lutheran churches and the Reformed churches. And they were both to give up some aspect of their confession to try to come to some sort of compromise. And of course, what you what you have happen is all of the faithful Lutherans just leave Prussia as a result of that, more or less, right? Well, they had to, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, you know, if you're if you're you're telling me I have to give up a, a, what I consider to be a biblical belief, I'm not going to. Yeah, exactly. But right. what? We, but what? You know, what we can impress upon all Christian people in in um, Galatians five, we have these wonderful words. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So, you know, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, calls us to live a life that's that's one of meekness and gentleness and kindness and all that stuff. And that really has nothing to do with your denominational affiliation. Mm-hmm. This is something that that all Christian people should strive to somehow put into their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So making, granted, I think theology is important. Obviously, in confessional integrity, what we what confess, what we confess, what we say we believe, that's important. We're not going to bring about this confessional unity, in, at least in our lifetimes. But what we can do is impress upon people that no matter what church you go to, this is a guideline for you as an individual. And one of the hallmarks of the Reformation was the, the importance, the, the, the elevation of the importance of the individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even maybe to the detriment, or definitely to the detriment, of the organizational framework. Yeah. The, yeah. Luther and his followers pushed the person the spiritual nurture of the individual, education of boys and girls, all this stuff. It was about the person. <clears throat> and, and, and at some level, you have to look at God and, and really consider his wisdom that God created families as that primary unit. Mm-hmm. And that's where these fruits of the Spirit should be evidenced first and foremost. Yeah. So that one, we're kind to one another, but then also our children learn how to be kind to other people. Yeah. Yeah. And you you know what you're saying rings true with my experience. Um, As I'm sure many of our listeners probably know, when I was in Ottawa, I went to a college that's owned and operated by the Dominican order. Uh, So it's a a Catholic institution. And um, there were just a lot of good, uh, good Christian people at, at that college. And um, you know, we didn't share unity of confession. There were obviously theological disagreements we had. I don't want to downplay the importance of the, the theological disagreements, but um, I will say 
in some sense, I felt more of a spirit of Christian oneness there than I do even among some more schismatic Lutheran groups that I'm a part of, you know? Yeah. It's a surprise sometimes, isn't it? You, and, and, you know, I talk about standing in line at the, at the big box store with a bunch of hamburger buns and hot dogs and hamburgers and all that stuff for a church picnic. And they make a joke about, well, you must have a lot of kids. (laughs) Well, you know, we're having a church picnic and then, Oh, what church do you go to? And you say, Oh, well, I go to this church and it's a different church. They, you know, than one, the one I go to, but you know, there's a certain oneness that's evidenced by that person's kind words towards me that came about naturally because they saw I was buying a lot of food and it must have been for some event. Mm -hmm. I find those moments so encouraging in my life as a Christian person. Mm -hmm. And we can all do this. Yeah. Regardless of whether we go to the Baptist church, the Methodist church, the Pentecostal church, the Lutheran church, the Catholic church or whatever, this should be, you know, forefront of our minds that we're kind to people and, and maybe we're kind to them because God loves them. And maybe that will lead to a discussion about what we believe, teach, and confess. We right. hope it does, but we're going to be kind to them whether or not it ever gets to that point. Right, right. No, no, I, I totally agree. I think maybe the concern for some people is that there's a fear that kind of emphasizing a Christian oneness apart from confessional unity like opens the door to like allowing these uh, beliefs to like somehow creep into your own confession or somehow infect your, your church in a way that um, dilutes the truth or diminishes it in some way. Right. And, and, but it need not, if you understand that the oneness that we have in Christ is a spiritual oneness that comes about because of the faith we have in Jesus. If you understand that that's a given, Mm -hmm. then our confessional integrity need not be compromised to bring that about because it actually exists. Right. But what we want to demonstrate to the world is that oneness that we have in Christ, whether no, no matter what church we go to. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't affect my, con, my confessional integrity was not compromised when I talked to a woman at, at the store when I was buying the hamburger and hot dogs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I totally agree. I didn't say, oh, I'm going to give up my belief in the real presence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Because you're a nice person. <laughs> yeah. We, and, and, you know, she and I both knew we had that oneness in Christ, no matter what Christian church we went to. Yeah. That's the beauty. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I, I feel the same about my time with the, the Roman Catholics in Ottawa. Like it's yeah. not like the, the sense of Christian oneness we experienced on the campus somehow diminished uh, the confessional integrity we had on Sundays when we go to our, our congregation. Right. No. Those and, two and, things can coexist. And I don't think I, my thought is that neither you nor the other people with whom you came into contact expected that to happen. Right. We're going to share a truth with one another and, and people may shift denominationally and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that oneness exists when people have faith in Christ. And that's what Jesus is talking about. That oneness that we have, you have, there's a good quote you have. I mean, it's a great place to read that from, from uh, Lenski. Yeah, yeah, sure. This is on Linsky's commentary for uh, the section that we're reading now. So um, Linsky is emphasizing like this two kinds of Christian oneness, one being the sort of invisible mystical oneness we talked about a moment ago. And now he's speaking here of an external oneness. So he says, um, being spiritual and mystical, this unity is of necessity invisible and does not consist in any form of outward organization. 
How far, however, it is from being merely imaginary appears the moment we look at the word. We are as much one with each other and with God and with Christ as we believe, teach, live, and confess all that is contained in the word. Every deviation in doctrine, life, and practice from the word mars and disrupts our oneness and hinders the fulfillment of Jesus' prayer. Those rend the church who deviate from any part of the word, also those who demand things other than the word demands. Those permit Jesus' prayer to be fulfilled in them who bring every thought and every act of theirs into subjection to the word. Quote, that they be one means one in the word. That also they be in us means in us through and by the word. Thus Jesus prays. Right. And that's that verse in, in the other section that we looked at. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Yeah. Verse 17. It's that sanctifying work of the word. The, the word is always accompanied by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us. The Holy Spirit graciously gives us faith and then also graciously helps us as we try to live our lives in a way that's pleasing to God and helpful to our neighbor. Right, right. All to the glory of God. And that, and hence again, this idea about glory, right? Yep. That yeah, that's another up. theme here. Yeah. Yeah, in verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Mm-hmm. And we see God's glory most most wonderfully demonstrated as he bleeds and dies on the cross to earn forgiveness for all people of all time. Yeah. You want to know what God's glory looks like? Go to the foot of the cross. Yeah. There you see the son of God bleeding and dying to forgive you your sins. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Okay. Well, pastor, do we have time to take one listener question before we sign off? Yeah. Do you want me to put that up? Yeah. Let's put it up on the screen if you don't mind. That one you assume? Yes. It ends with a question mark, so I clued right in. (laughs) Yeah, that's the one. So uh, this person says, really appreciate your discussion on Christian unity. What are your thoughts on best handling theological differences within the same congregation? It's a good question. Yeah. um, First off, it's interesting at some level, we will never totally agree with every person even in our own denominations, congregations, on every theological point. There's always going to be discussion. But it, I'm going to use one of those cutesy modern phrases. You you haven't failed until you quit trying. Mm, right. Okay. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and this is a process. As we strive to educate one another and to help one another along in our life of faith, it's something you continue to work at, pray about, and and, and deal with in a non-judgmental and actually inquisitive, you should have an inquisitive mind. Mm-hmm. Like, why does the person think that way? Yeah. You know, in, in some ways I, you know, there's people, you know, you get along with pretty much everything they say. It, it, it kind of melds together. It works well. And then there's other people, man, they look at things totally differently than I do. Mm-hmm. And, and you can learn from them mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. good to learn from them. So to answer the question a little bit more briefly, um, to continue to work and pray and study the scriptures and go back to well, why? What does our what does our Lutheran theology say about this? And 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 just to continue to work through it in yeah. a prayerful, loving, accepting, non-judgmental way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Because we, none of us looks at theology exactly the same way. Right. And, and, and none of us looks at this particular verse of, of the Bible in exactly the same way. We all add a little perspective to it. Why were there four gospel writers? Right. Presumably four different perspectives, right? Presumably, yeah. Different angles. Um, I've watched TV shows where they did that, like with the protagonists, they would have who weren't together when a big event occurred, then they would go back and play the event through the, through the eyes of this person, then that person, then the next person, then the next person. Yeah. And you learn, Oh, well, look at that. They, they were holding the gun this way or whatever it was. Yeah. You'd learn from their different perspective. And if we're, if we're humble, truly humble, then we'll, we'll go to these people and say, I don't understand. Please help me understand what you're saying. Continue to pray about it and, and keep the conversation going. That's Mm -hmm. the best way. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Very good. Thank you, Pastor. And thank you to whoever submitted that question. Yeah, thank you very much. That's great. That's great. Okay. All right. Any other thoughts before we close tonight? No, just that we should bear in mind that our oneness is based on our faith in Christ and our actions, as much as we as individuals can control them, should be guided by the Spirit in a way that I you know, read from Galatians, that we should be kind, we should be gentle, we should be long-suffering, we should be patient, all those things, so that our oneness that we have is demonstrated through the unity in our behavior to the end that other people may come to know God's love and hopefully come to know the forgiveness which Christ has won for them. Right. Okay? Excellent. Okay. Do you have a prayer for us tonight, Will? Yes, I do. Okay, if you'd be so kind. Almighty and everlasting God, you desire not the death of a sinner, but that all would repent and live. Hear our prayers for those outside the church. Take away their iniquity and turn them from their false gods to you, the living and true God. Gather them into your holy church to the glory of your name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.